0: I'm Carrie Miller, and this is a show about big books and bold ideas. The interesting idea at the heart of Matthew Pearl's new book is what happens to the portrait of an American frontiersman, an icon of the earliest days of this nation. When you hear the whole story, Daniel Boone pushed ruthlessly into Native American lands in Kentucky— He was, as Mr. Pearl writes, a settler in the most literal sense of the word, which meant that although he believed he could live peacefully side by side with the tribes in the region, he was going to have his land, whether they gave it to him or he had to take it. And yet Boone was also admired by the tribes in the region. He became an adopted son of one warrior chief. In the mid-1770s, Daniel Boone brought his family into the wilds of Kentucky and established Boonesboro. And it was there, on a warm July day in 1776, that his daughter Jemima and two of her friends, out canoeing on the river, were kidnapped by a small group of Indians. Boone was summoned and arrived at the riverbank to find the canoe overturned. A heart-stopping symbol, Matthew Pearl writes of his daughter's possible fate, and maybe a taunt directed at Boone, or worse, a trap. Matthew Pearl's new book is titled The Taking of Jemima Boone, The True Story of the Kidnapping and Rescue That Shaped America. And he's with us this morning. And Matthew, welcome. It's good to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Let's set the scene a little bit. When the tribes who lived in And traveled through Kentucky and used that area as hunting grounds, saw the arrival of permanent settlers, you write that they realized it was a sea
1: change. How so? Right. Well, this this didn't happen overnight, the settlers pushing into what we know of as Kentucky. And and at the time, Kentucky was a uh, term that was catching on for the area that had come from the tribal languages. Uh, this started in the early seventeen seventies and by the time we move into the mid seventeen seventies through a series of treaties, uh some of which were questionable um, between the tribes and settlers, many of whom did not have the authority in any official way to make those treaties there There was a bigger push, and that push was um, that that push was really encapsulated by Daniel Boone, and his desire, which was constant to find new homes in lands that had not yet been part of the settlers' maps. Uh, so by the time we get to 1775, we're getting the first permanent or intended to be permanent settlements in Kentucky. The tribes are terrified because their resources are being rapidly depleted in ways that are astonishing them. They even astonish Europeans who travel through the area to see how quickly the settlers are using up the resources. This is something we think about a lot today, right? Mm -hmm. How we interact with the environment, how we use it. It's actually something that Daniel Boone thought about very frequently and was part of a committee to try to uh, constrain, for example, the hunting, the overhunting of American buffalo or bison, um, which was unlike anything ever seen. So by the time that Boonesboro, the settlement named for Boone, um, but also uh, led by, by other men and women, uh, was established, the tribes felt they had no choice but to act. Their, their very survival was at stake.
0: In fact, they, you write that when they see these permanent settlements being established, they realize that these settlers are setting i think you call it setting a course towards seizing Kentucky. I mean the tribes see that they 're going to lose control autonomy of this land right
1: yeah it's 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 really interesting because um, we often think monolithically of the formation of the United States, uh, and in fact, the settlers that were were doing this, including Boone were really considered outlaws by by their own peers. Um, first, mm-hmm. the British. Uh, let, let's keep in mind that we're right at the cusp of, of the American Revolution, right? So first by the British, who are saying, you cannot do this. You cannot go that far west. And then, as events unfold on, on a larger scale uh, and the revolution begins, they're also frowned upon by uh, the The very early versions of a kind of congressional uh, committees that are being formed to to try to unify uh, this this burgeoning set of of states into a into a nation um, so so the tribes are also seeing this that this is almost a rogue faction that is pushing this far west um, and and they they have to kind of regroup and think how to get around both the settlers and their own tribes that have set treaties, sometimes or very often by force and manipulation with those settlers.
0: Hmm. I want to come back to what the, the opportunity that the British see with the tribes. But first, I thought this was interesting. You described Daniel Boone as having this kind of single-minded obsession about Kentucky. And he is a well-traveled pioneer, I guess. I mean, he's been to North Carolina, he's explored Virginia, he's been to Florida. What what was it that was so captivating for Boone about this land that became Kentucky?
1: You know, we only have a few pieces of writing in Boone's own handwriting, and he was not a, a writer uh, in terms of the way he he left traces of his kind of inner state and emotions. So, so part of the challenge with, with, with telling the story of Boone and those around him is trying to, trying to get into their thoughts, right? It's, it, it, it's not made easy for us. The best that I, that I can really tell as, as you dig into what the records do allow us to, uh, to investigate, he really had this very genuine... In other words, not, not driven by finances, not driven by power. This very genuine uh, feeling of wanting to keep exploring what has not been explored, settling what has not been settled. Till so he was never satisfied, right? He could go as far south as Florida. Uh, he could go all across the frontier. But there was this drive in him that I, that I think is in the DNA of, of much of our national culture as well. Uh, of, of kind of planting a flag, of, of, of staking something out new. And, and that's, that's part of what Boonesboro, even the name itself, symbolized, which was to to kind of find your own part of the map and, and put your imprint on it. And, 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 and that was something that was exciting. And it was something that almost never worked out the way Boone or others who had the same impulse um, dreamed that it would.
0: So so that's a kind of naivete, right? We'll get into this frontier land and we'll make it work. I wonder if you also see this assumption that Boone has that he can push into this land and live peacefully side by side with these tribes that value, that highly value this land. Is that naivete too? Or, or are there examples that he can point to to say, well, they did it in why shouldn't i be able to do this in kentucky
1: it it's a real puzzle to try to understand how the tribes and the settlers would see each other there there's one extreme or or there's extremes in in both cases in which in which both parties would see each other as as simply evil right mm-hmm. um as as to put in air quotes, red savages, or again, in air quotes, white devils. Those were kind of two terms that were used from, from both extremes. Uh, But very much in the, in the middle of that were, were individuals on, on, from both ends, from the tribes and from the settlers who, who could envision a coexistence and, and yes, could point to examples where that happened. There was intermarriage, there were settlers who lived with tribes, uh, uh, by choice. There were those who were taken by tribes, and and even after they were able to leave, decided to stay. Um, same on the other side. There were there were tribal individuals who came to stay with settlers who ended up becoming part of those communities. At the same time, there was a constant state of warfare, or, or a warfare that could break out at any moment, and it was this extremely confusing way to live that someone who was your neighbor, your friend could turn into your enemy uh, in, a, in a flash, in the blink of an eye. And, and this was something, and I think one of the most interesting things for me in, in, in immersing myself in this world, uh, this is something really difficult to relate to that, that they internalized that way of living um, that they could both be desiring peace and coexistence, and also be ready to fight with those same people at at, at a moment's notice.
0: The other thing I want to come back to is what you said about noting that we're on the cusp of the Revolutionary War, and the tribes are being pressured to take sides in the war. The Lieutenant Governor of Fort Detroit, Henry Hamilton, uh, a, a British leader, is wants the tribes to basically declare themselves in favor of the British, and he is supporting this tribal unrest that you're describing against the American settlers. And understanding this from your book, that ends up being a pretty pernicious force for the settlers who are trying to keep these, you know, small communities together— Will you talk about the role that Hamilton has in fomenting some of this unrest that the settlers are confronting?
1: Absolutely. That's a, that's a great description of the, the tension that exists between these two uh, nations at war, uh, the, the future United States of America and the British with the tribes caught right in the middle. Now, nobody uh, on on the American or the British side have particularly good intentions about the tribes, right? What the tribes want is they don't want to be involved. And they're pressured more and more until they, in, in most cases, have no choice but to choose a side. And there is no good side. The British are pressuring in every way possible um, Sometimes, through incentives, uh, for example, Hamilton, who you mentioned who is is kind of the leading um, figure in in the in the movement to bring the tribes over to the British side, is actually paying tribes uh, to murder uh, the the settlers or or the 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 kind of revolutionaries um, but at the same time, promising uh land. Because that's really what the tribes want. They want the Americans pushed back eastward so that they can get their land back, right, that have been taken as the colonies have have pushed west. And the British never have any intention of doing this. At the same time, the Americans are making constant overtures to the tribes to keep those who were already allies on their side to help fight the British or to bring tribes that have been neutral or have, or have leaned toward the British to their side. But again, with no intention of actually preserving the lifestyle and the resources that the tribes need to survive. What the tribes are absolutely looking for is the preservation or the return of land like Kentucky that's been taken away from them. And part of what makes that so complicated is that tribal concepts of property did not line up with British or American concepts of property. Right where where those cultures looked at property as fixed, um, kind of parameters and maps, mm-hmm. uh, and w- that that remained under single control of of nations, of municipalities, of individuals. Um, this was not how the tribes would operate. They migrated. Um, they had seasonal uh, kind of routes that. That dealt with agriculture and with hunting, um, so so land for them was about using the land for their for their way of life, and that can never, no matter what promises were being made, that could never be compatible with the way that the the British and and ultimately the Americans viewed land, which was about control and keeping people out of land. So so the tribes are in this awful position, which is part of why the kidnapping of Jemima Boone and her two friends happens at such an interesting moment because it's, it's about 10 days after the declaration of independence. So it's right at this, this formative turn in the trajectory of the revolutionary war.
0: I'm Carrie Miller. You're listening to a show about big books and bold ideas. And our guest is Matthew Pearl. He's out with a new book about frontiersman Daniel Boone, the kidnapping of Boone's daughter, Jemima, and Boone's own experience as a captive and admirer, in some ways, of the tribal way of life in Kentucky. The book is titled The Taking of Jemima Boone. I hope you'll listen at the end of the hour for foodie fiction and my puzzle. We'll see if you can guess it. So again, let's come back to the scene. Uh, It is this warm July day in 1776, Jemima Boone is, is she 14, Matthew, at this point?
1: Yes. We're we're many of the people don't we, we don't know their exact birth date, but that's uh we, we believe she's probably 13 at this point.
0: Okay. She is uh Daniel Boone's daughter, and she and two of her friends are out on the river and they're paddling a canoe, and they're spotted by a Cherokee leader. And a group of Indians, okay, tell me more, tell the story right.
1: so so this is uh, pretty early in the history of boonesboro this, this little this little town, this little settlement, this little fort in the in the middle of Kentucky, and uh, Jemima is of course, the daughter of Daniel Boone. The symbolic leader and one of the actual leaders of of the settlement, but by no means the only leader he has a rival named richard calloway, and it's his two two of his daughters, uh Betsy and Fanny, who are jemima's friends, slightly older than her, and they go out in this canoe across the the Kentucky River. This becomes a uh one of the most important and um, and popularized and controversial moments of this frontier error, when this group, as you say, of tribal warriors, um, it's it's both Cherokee and Shawnee, led by mm-hmm. a tribal leader named Hanging Ma, or called Hanging Ma, uh, sort of uh, comes out of the, the vegetation and grabs the canoe in a way that suggests they almost certainly were certainly were surveying and watching this particular canoe. And Hanging Ma actually knows the boons. He was at the negotiation in 1775 in which the treaty is made between Cherokee leaders and settlers to quote-unquote sell this part of what would become Kentucky. And I put that in quotes because uh, there's very little authority attached to this sale. And in fact, there have already been restrictions on private individuals purchasing this kind of tribal land. It's it's actually, if we do think of it as a sale, it, it would be the probably still the biggest sale of land in the history of the country. Uh, but mm. Hanging Ma at that time um, both met with and spoke with Daniel Boone and met Jemima Boone. So he he recognizes Jemima as the the tribal warriors grab the canoe. And in fact one of the first things he says is he points to the other two girls and says, "Are they your sisters? Are they are they Boon's also?" And Jemima uh, instantly thinks um, that she can protect her friends better by saying yes, which she does. She lies and says these are her sisters, because Boone is so important that if in other circumstances uh, a, a tribal um, faction might have reason to kill people that they are encountering, settlers they're encountering for a variety of reasons, including what we talked about with, with the British pressuring and, and incentivizing them to do so. In this case, uh, the the tribe could see them as leverage, which is which is what happens and they they take them.
0: Here's a fascinating little morsel. Um, Hanging Ma, again a Cherokee leader, but as you've noted, he's working with uh, members of the Shawnee tribe too, and, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but He knows George Washington. He fought with George Washington in the French and Indian War. I mean, he's somebody who is, you know, connected. So we have to believe that he understands the gravity of what he's undertaking here in this kidnapping
1: absolutely and and Boone, as a young man, Daniel Boone, was also in that the French and indian war and and probably crossed paths with George Washington or or at least saw him um so th- there's there's definitely every reason to believe that hanging ma is is laying out a a very specific tactical plan here in leading this group of Shawnee because ever since that treaty was made there has been a, a sort of underground tribal movement to undermine the settlement in Kentucky. And so this gives them an opportunity to, to take hostage, essentially, three very important young women because of where they're coming from, Boonesboro, the, the primary settlement in Kentucky, and because who they're related to, uh, which Hanging Ma believes is is Boone. But even if he knew the truth, Richard Calloway, the father of the other two girls, is also an extremely important frontier leader. So that this gives them an opportunity to put pressure, just as all this pressure is being put on the tribes, to put pressure back onto the settlers to do what? We're not sure because we don't get quite that far, but almost certainly to to come to some agreement in which they could push the settlement uh, out of Kentucky. Quick
0: observation here. I thought it was interesting that you point out that there is cooperation among some of the tribes in the region. I think sometimes historians, um, or maybe again, the way we learn history is that the tribes are always at war, you know, with each other. And um, this is Hanging Maw's Cherokee. He's working with the Shawnee, that's going to end up being important in deciding what to do with these girls and, and then the events that follow. Explain why.
1: Right, and that's so important to, uh, to bring up, which is that I think we, we often think of tribes as, as these competing units of, of people, which they certainly are at many times. Um, But at other times, they are in negotiation with each other, in coordination with each other, in cooperation with each other. The other thing we often do is we think of each tribe monolithically that Mm -hmm. all the Cherokee believe in X, or all the Shawnee uh, uh, allied themselves with or against Y or Z, right? And that's not the case. Just like in any other population, there is a variety of Decisions of perspectives of allegiances of animosities, uh, so because the uh, ironically the the settlements in Kentucky unify those tribes because they are all being harmed by it, so some some of these tribes that might in other ways be at odds with each other, and the Shawnee and Cherokee were were quite different culturally by this point. Um, all the tribes also have have long histories through which they, they change. Sometimes they splinter off, form new tribes. Um, the Shawnee is known as, as much more militaristic and geared toward war as a solution as opposed to toward diplomacy. So this pairing of Hanging Ma leading the Shawnee group is instigated by the fact that they're in such a, a kind of crisis as this, this crucial land, uh, crucial to their, to their hunting in particular in Kentucky and also their migrations, is being rapidly taken over by the settlers. So, so that makes this a key moment, um, both for the tribes and for the settlers as they try to think how they're going to coexist or if they're just going to be in perpetual war with those tribes.
0: More ahead after a short break. Support comes from Delta Dental of Minnesota Foundation, making dental care possible for Minnesotans in need by funding nonprofit dental clinics, expanded dental workforce, and school-based programs to improve oral health. DeltaDentalMN.org slash NPR. Programming is supported by Best Flanagan, building close relationships with all their clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Best in Flanagan, lawyers you know, online at bestlaw.com. Hey, did you know the Minnesota Now podcast is here? I'm Kathy Werzer. Join me for real stories from real Minnesotans each weekday. It's journalism that does not take itself too seriously and puts people first. Look for Minnesota Now wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a conversation with Matthew Pearl. He's out with a new book titled The Taking of Jemima Boone. And I'm Carrie Miller, and this is a show about big books and bold ideas. So Jemima and her friends are taken deeper into Indian territory, and they're remarkably, especially Jemima, is keeping a cool head, and she's trying to leave clues for her father, whom she knows will follow, will pursue. Um, Boone and his posse eventually catch up And they raid the Indian camp, but what happens during this raid really sets the table for the escalation of violence between the settlers and the tribe. What happens when Boone and his group arrive and prepare to attack to recover the girls?
1: Right. And it's such a great point you make uh, about the resourcefulness of Jemima and her two friends, because very often as this event was depicted in popular culture, they were uh, envisioned as as very passive elements in this. And in fact, they, they had great agency, both in terms of their, their own strategizing um, and also bonding. Um, in certain cases, with their tribal captors, in particular between Jemima and Hanging Ma, the Cherokee leader that we talked about, and that's that's a fascinating dynamic and and relationship. Whereas the other two girls and some of the other tribal warriors are are geared more simply to hate each other, which is which is also interesting to see kind of manifested since that's present in so many. Of the uh, of both the settlers and the tribes at the time, so the the clues are 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 left and set for the rescuers that they hope are coming, and indeed Boone is coming uh, with, as you say, a posse of of rescuers, and the clash occurs uh, in a way that allows Hanging Ma to to escape. Um, and and th- there's some interesting things there between again between hanging Ma and Jemima, um, but there is there is a firefight and two of the the tribal warriors are killed. Um, the girls are are taken and and safely brought back um, by the settlers to to Boonesboro. But this is really, rather than being an isolated event that is now over, it's actually opened up a whole, uh, what I call a chain reaction, um, in part because one of those tribal warriors who is killed probably by Daniel Boone's bullet uh, is the son of a very important Shawnee chief.
0: I mean... I think I knew in the legend of Daniel Boone that he had spent some time with Indian tribes. Your book is so interesting in this experience. And I think we can leave the way this happens to our readers about the way Daniel Boone ends up getting taken himself into captivity by a tribe. But I had no idea how admiring he ends up being of the native way of life, and how valued he is by the people who are holding him prisoner, I, I guess I want to know how much you knew about that as you embarked on the project.
1: Sure, thank you for asking but you know when I write part of of why I write is to to learn um, and and to really immerse myself in something new as opposed to. Kind of take one thing that I know or that I come to know really well, and then just just put it on repeat so this was absolutely a learning experience for me as a writer and a storyteller is It was to delve into so so much of this, including um, what you 're flagging, which is boone's experience as as part of a tribal community once he 's taken, once he's kidnapped, just the very idea that. The, the kidnapping, the process of kidnapping was seen within the tribes not so much as an act of violence, but as an act of reparation for for <laughs> tribes that were losing their own individuals, losing members. This is very much what would have happened most likely with Jemima if the rescue hadn't occurred. The plan was most likely that she would be integrated Into the community, and that's certainly not how we think of in 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 any positive way, of course, um, culturally (laughs) as as a way to combine or integrate communities. But but again, it's 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 so interesting and so difficult to put ourselves in the mindsets of of all of these individuals and that and and where they're coming from. But but Boone very much adapted. Now, on the one hand, he he's he's plotting and figuring out what am I going to get out of being in this tribe? What intel can I gain mm-hmm. from this, right? What knowledge? Um, but, but on the other hand, he is also genuinely integrating himself into the culture. Uh, he is admiring and appreciating the individuals, um, the family that he's taken into, which as you say, without going into the weeds, is actually the family of the warrior, that he kills during the rescue of Jemima, so it's this—it's this really, uh, this really kind of mind-blowing um, trajectory and arc to, to chart that he's welcomed in, not in, in a way to trick him, right? Um, but but in this in this kind of dual way of neutralizing him as an enemy and of and of appropriating his skills, he's teaching the tribes his skills just as they're teaching him. Theirs. He's earning their trust. Um, and he's also feeling very much like part of that family to the extent that later on in his life, when, when the Boone family would run into his, his tribal sister, she would greet them as family.
0: He has a very close relationship with a woman who, with one of the Indian women, who he thinks of as his adopted mother. Right. And she is very i mean she loves him by the descriptions that you give us of their parting on the day that he decides that he can escape the captivity
1: yeah absolutely she even helps him she and and some of the other indian women help him once they see he's he's going to escape not not giving him the idea to escape or or mm-hmm. or telling him to escape but but once they see they cannot stop him from escaping they actually help him and help him in a way to avoid capture, uh, which would which would almost certainly turn violent, both for him and for those trying to capture him from the tribe. So it's again this this, this sort of nexus of all these competing um, emotions and stakes and feelings toward each other and toward one's own community and toward communities that. That are separate from yours uh, and and it's it's so uh, to keep repeating myself it 's so fascinating to try to think how they kept all of this in in three dimensions in in their in their in their kind of inner life their emotional inner life, which again we we tend to flatten I think when we think about life in in the seventeen and eighteen hundreds I think we tend to try to we, we tend to kind of caricature it. When, in fact, in, in so many ways it's it 's so much more dimensional than what we tend to encounter or experience you know for me i 'm always so much more excited about history when I feel like i 'm jumping in in into the thick of it rather mm, than right, looking at right. it from 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 a bird 's eye view not that that 's not important it is, um, but really feel what it must be like to to walk in the shoes. Of people involved, and in this case, as you say, it's much more complicated than I think many of us uh, kind of grow up um, learning about the frontier error might might think. And and there's so many more uh, dynamics and and motivations uh, present in in each of these uh, sort of competing elements of, of that world of the of the settlers, of the tribes, of the women who were so often marginalized um, in, in both of both of those worlds.
0: Okay, so, so that's what I wanted to say is I, I think from a contemporary perspective, we would we'd be confused about Boone's relationship with the tribes. I mean, it appears hypocritical, it's puzzling, he respects their ways, he he loves some of these members of the tribe that are holding him hostage, but he really has no a compunction, I guess, about taking their land from them and you know deeply affecting the future stability i guess and health of of the tribes and and i i don't want to forget what you just said they they it isn't that he didn't understand this it it's that in that day they were kind of able to hold these contradictions that what was what it was to be a settler what what would you add to that matthew
1: right that that so that's just a i think a beautiful description of it and and it's it was one of the most remarkable parts of this both both from the tribal perspective and from the perspective of boone and and one clue that we have that boone knew how charged this was even in the moment was that he had to hide many of these feelings and emotions from those settlers in in his community. Once he's back in in the settlers uh, with the settlers, um, because he knows how many of them would react to that. So on the one hand, there's, there's a, a, a kind of internalization of, of, all of these contradictions right that, that simply all these all, all of these contradictions can can exist uh, together in a way that that can feel confusing to us on the other hand, he recognizes that he 's able to hold more of those contradictions together than many of his contemporaries uh, and and I think that 's part of what differentiates Boone at the same time. it is very hard to trace the the journey of, of of his plans toward the tribes. Because as you say, as he accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish, he also is aware, or must be aware, of the depletion of the resources that the tribes need. And I think for me that gets back to perhaps the the inability to transcend these different ideas of property. Um, uh, 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 You know, because once you, once you have taken uh, ownership of this concept that property is what keeps other people, other communities out, Mm -hmm. then, then it will always be incompatible with the, the tribal vision of life. And we do see kind of little moments of, of, epiphanies among both tribal and settlers uh, visions of life that include a community in which everyone coexists. And in fact, we see that even as Boone lives with, with the tribe and, and as other settlers with live with the tribe and, and, and tribal leaders will articulate that they could bring their family to live with them as well. Although, we will have to kill the the men because they could fight us right so so there would always, yeah. on the one hand there would be there would be almost semi utopian visions of of tribal and 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 tribal life and and the life of settlers being combined on the other hand there would always be this undercurrent of of having to be at war on some level to neutralize those who would who would uh, who would undermine that experiment. So it's it's a, it's a very it's 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 often again a frustrating experience because um, you 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 are almost hoping well there there must be some way that these communities can can plug into each other and of course that ultimately is not what happens either in this these micro examples or in the larger scheme of things.
0: I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to my Friday book show. I'm talking with Matthew Pearl about his new book, The Taking of Jemima Boone, the foodie fiction puzzle coming up a little later. I want to say here that in we haven't talked much about what's happening in Boonesboro while Daniel Boone and and others from the community are being held captive. I mean, in his absence, Boonesboro's future becomes really uncertain. His wife, Rebecca, and her extended family go back to North Carolina for a while, and Jemima Boone stays. She ends up marrying, I think, at 14 years old, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. But, <laughs> um, but she's determined to stay. But, but am I right that, that much of his wife's family and other members of the community leave, leave Boonesboro
1: that's right. Well, well, In fact, yeah, what the Boone children, um, well, they're giving up hope. They, they believe that Boone is dead. Once, So we have Jemima return to us, and then we have Boone ta- taken captive by the tribes. Um, as well as as other settlers who were who were with Boone um, on a on a mission um, to to make salt because salt was a key a key part of life to to preserve meat and and to use for medicinal and other uses. Um, once they're taken captive, all of the rumors are that they have been killed. Um, and a few of them do die. Boone, of course, is alive, but nobody could say that for sure. So not only his wife, Rebecca, who is an incredible uh, person and character, uh, and, but, but there are other children as well, the, the Daniel and Rebecca's other children. Only Jemima decides that, no, my father must be alive. So there's this interesting symmetry um, between when Jemima is taken and Boone has to believe in his heart. Even though there, there's reasons to believe that Jemima won't survive that, that he can get her back alive. And now Jemima is, is kind of the rock in Boonesboro saying, I'm not going anywhere until I can help bring my father back. Um, and she has married, as you say in fact she 's married one of her rescuers. Um, the The mythology is that each of the three girls marries one of their rescuers. In fact, the mythology at certain points gets so ridiculous that it 's depicted that they get married on their way home, which is not <laughs> what happens <laughs> and in fact only only two of the two of the it's still it 's still a, a, a good fraction of them, but two of the young women end up marrying the rescuers um, the other the other one 's husband is later converted into a rescuer in renditions of the story, which was not accurate, um, and and Boonesboro itself is kind of falling apart because now those other two girls' father, Richard Calloway, Boone's rival, is the one to take over in the in the void left by Boone's absence. And Richard Calloway was a tried and true, what he called an Indian killer. Right, his his reason for being was to fight, be at war with murder. Indians. So this is very much a a shadow image or version of Daniel Boone. So whatever flaws we can find in Daniel Boone, and we can we can certainly find them. Um, Richard Calloway, they're amplified in every possible. There, there's no there's no complication, no wrinkles there. Um, he's he he is ruthless both toward other settlers and toward the tribe. So um, morale is falling apart. People are leaving. The, the situation with the tribes is getting worse and worse, um, and as Jemima waits to see if if Boone will ever return
0: matthew I, I, again i 'm going to leave the drama of boone 's escape and what follows to our readers but but i 'm interested in how the legend what, what really catalyzes the legend of Daniel Boone and how how quickly the word of his life and his heroism begins to spread. I mean, is it is it quickly after he comes back and Boonesboro stabilizes, or how does this happen?
1: Great question. Um, Boone begins to be uh, made into a figure of the frontier in, in his own in his own time. Um, you mm-hmm. know, newspapers are, are just getting started um there it's one of the confusing things as you do research is that all the newspapers have the same name in many cases they're just called the gazette um but they're they're starting to tell stories about some of the frontier figures and in, including uh including Boone um and and then a a, a what we'd call a biographer uh named John Philson starts to write about Boone um in, in, in kind of uh kind of a Almost a ghostwriter format, and, and it makes it difficult for us because we can't quite tell what are Boone's words and what what are not. Um, but over the years, this gets this gets published, and Boone becomes a, a kind of heroic and legendary figure among those who knew him and those involved in the frontier. He had already become uh, pretty legendary. He he was his his accomplishments. Uh, kind of spoke for themselves and and he was just an extremely likable person again not to not to not to valorize every action by any means or every decision he made um, He made missteps he he morally compromised himself at times, but particularly in comparison to many of these other figures, Richard Calloway included, he was someone that everyone could. Could feel that they had trust in and, and could gravitate toward so so he really became mythologized very early, which is part of why the Jemima Boone kidnapping also got so much attention at the same time. the jemima Boone ca- kidnapping was so dramatic that it also reflected and increased the the sort of attention and legends of, about the boone family at large
0: you know what 's interesting about this is he he comes off as a you know as a highly Confident and certain person when it comes to pushing west, and you know, to use a phrase from history books, kind of the manifest destiny of of America. And yet, he still kind of strikes me as a pretty humble figure. And and I guess I wonder how those qualities coexist and what you what you were able to understand about that.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's really persp- perceptive. I I, I think. Um, you know, there's been a narrative that's that's more modern that Boone was a terrible businessman, um, mm-hmm. and and was not was not particularly good at at kind of financial uh, aspects of his life, and 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 there might be I think there is some truth in that, but I think more so it, it's it's it kind of leans into what you're noticing and pointing out that that he really was not very self aggrandizing he 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 was not trying to build himself up in this way he i think at 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 a deep level was really someone who was very family oriented um and very much about experiencing life on on the level of nature i mean his passion and this gets back to that 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 kind of exploration impulse. His passion was, was kind of living um, in, in sort of harmony with nature, part of what he admired uh, so much in, in the tribes and what many uh, tribal witnesses sort of uh, observed and admired in Boone in return. Um, so so I, I don't think that he ever really tried to, to search out power or money or create what we would call a brand, Right for himself, I I think it really was about that that kind of day to day experience and and learning and that 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 curiosity um, that he had built in to himself about the natural world and about exploration.
0: One last thing here: you write, and as we've noted, Daniel Boone returns to Bur- Boone'sboro and the community stabilizes, and you say. Saving Boonesboro and preserving the frontier allowed the United States of America to keep pushing westward, ultimately to the Pacific Ocean, monetizing all land to pay war debts and funding economic development with progressively catastrophic consequences for all American Indian tribes. I think you're suggesting there that if Boonesboro had collapsed, I mean, ultimately, I think we... We know where this was headed, but there would have been some pretty serious consequences in how quickly, uh, you know, settlers and the government were able to continue to push west. What, what, uh, what's your research tell you about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's right. Um, you know, we can't construct alternative histories uh, with any accuracy, of course, about what might have happened. But, but Kentucky was our, our most westward point at this moment. And Boonesboro uh, was the centerpiece of the Kentucky settlements. There were others, but they were much smaller and less stable. So there, there's a, a, pretty, a pretty clear consensus that, that if Boonesboro were wiped out, which, which is that the last part of the story of, the take, of taking of Jemima Boone, um, once Boone is back and the tribes come, uh, to Boonesboro to try to take it down. Um, there's there's a feeling that Kentucky itself, as uh, and the, the presence of settlers and, and the presence of of the the burgeoning Americans um, would would have would have been swept away as well. So who knows what left and, and right turns it would have taken from there? But it was a, it was a key moment um, as we were. In this military uh, combat to to draw the lines of, of a map and and to kind of set the course for the future and what shapes because at this time it was not clear at all what the ultimate shape of the United States of America would be literal shape um, but also figurative kind of identity of the country. So, so this, this really was a, a formative moment. And, and again, that's my favorite type of story is when we can capture a formative moment in history in a really compelling, suspenseful, fascinating series of events with, with, with characters that, that really draw us in.
0: Matthew, I've loved the conversation. Thank you so much. Really good to talk to you for the hour.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Carrie. This is a pleasure.
0: Matthew Pearl's book is called The Taking of Jemima Boone, the true story of the kidnap and rescue that shaped America. Now to foodie fiction, in which I immerse you in the taste and textures and aromas of a dish that appears in a book, and you follow my clues to name that dish and that book. When you've got the answer, tweet me at Carrie NPR. In this acclaimed novel, food enriches the bond between the women who gather each week to talk and laugh and play and eat. The dishes they bring to the table represent their immigrant history and symbolize their deep love for one another and their children, in fact, the women feast on so many mouthwatering creations in this story that scholars have made lists with recipes included of the food the characters indulge in. But the particular dish I'm looking for in this foodie fiction puzzle is one that evokes a glittering festival in the homeland, one in which lanterns light traditional celebratory gatherings, and people mark the occasion by creating and eating these treats. In the novel, a character describes the deep pleasure of tasting this food, the glaze on the outside and a filling that is surprisingly sweet inside. This treat is also baked in the shape of an animal to celebrate the festival. And if you happen to be in this country in the autumn, you can buy one of these delectable morsels for yourself. Okay, what is the dish that I've described and in which novel does it appear? When you've figured it out, tweet me at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R.